to you. Go ahead and have a seat. Grab your Bibles with me this morning and go with me to the book of Acts. We're continuing in a series today. We're actually concluding this series called Friending. We've been looking at what it means in the Word of God to actually... What does, it, what does it mean to be a friend? And, and uh, I'm so excited about you being here on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we had a lot of folks that t- let us know they weren't going to be here for a lot of good reasons and everything. And I thought at one point I may just be preaching to my family this morning, but you guys showed up, all right? And you dispelled my fears there. And uh, But thank you for being here today. Thank you for being here. The book of Acts chapter 15 as we can continue in friending. And it's been a great series. It's been a challenging series, I know, for a lot of you. And it, and it's been something that has been challenging for me as I've kind of just really taken a look at and assessed the relationships that are in my life as, as we look at this. And, and uh, one of the things that we've really learned and that God has just driven this point home for all of us, and especially for me, is I'm not in control of how many friends I have. I'm not in control of, of, of how many people will like me and how many people will, will actually be a friend to me in that aspect. I'm not in control of that the thing that I'm really, though, in control of and that, and that I have a calling to and that God wants me to, to really live out is what kind of friend am I being to other people? Am I being a good friend to people around me? Because we have established this in this series is that people need good friends. I mean, all of us want it. We all want that in our lives. People need good friendships. We need good relationships we were created and wired up that way to have that in our lives. And, and you can't control how many you get. And, and so we might focus on how lonely we are. We might focus on what we don't have. But that's not really what the point of the series has been. The point of the series has been, what kind of friend are you being to people around you? We've looked at a lot of different biblical examples. We looked at, and really it ended up being kind of almost a little bit of a study in the relationships of David. We saw that David had a Samuel in his life that was an investing kind of friend. He invested in David. He saw things in David that David didn't see in himself. In fact, Samuel didn't really see it at, at the beginning point, but God showed him. And so, and so he began to invest in David. We know that he was anointed as king. And, and I guess what I would ask some of you here today is that as you are a believer, you know you're called to make disciples. You know you're called to invest in other people. The thing you might take out of this series and the question you might ask yourself, am I investing in other people? Am I seeing in others what maybe they don't see in themselves? You, you as a believer and I, we ought to have at least a, a, some person that God might put upon our heart that we are willing to invest in. We're willing to encourage them. We're willing to push them to greater things in their life. Who are you investing in? We also looked and saw that David had a great friend a godly friendship in a man named Jonathan. Jonathan was the the king's son. And we saw that Jonathan rightfully uh, could have been in that place of becoming the next king. But rather than becoming jealous, rather 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 than taking sides and siding with his father Saul, he was a loyal friend. Are you a loyal kind of friend that steps in when others step out? We saw the loyalty in that friendship and how he celebrated David, how he protected David. That's one of the things I really loved was that he protected David. Even when others were starting to talk negatively about David, particularly Saul, he stepped up and he said, Dad, you've got it wrong about Saul. Saul or or wrong about David. David is a great man and he's loved you and he served you. He was a loyal friend. I would ask you, are you a loyal kind of friend? 
Are you one that steps up when others step out? I mean, that's really where I've been challenged. It's just, I want to be a loyal kind of friend. I want to be counted on in that manner. We looked last week, Pastor Randy brought a great message on just the kind of friendship where you've actually earned the, the right to be able to speak truthfully into the life of another person. Are you a truthful kind of friend? And we saw that in David and, and Nathan when David had a huge moral failure in his life and was so far off track in his relationship with God. And yet he had a man who loved him enough and who was a prophet in his life who had earned the right to speak into his life and said, David, you're wrong. And I love you and I'm going to walk with you through this restoration process. And you find in Psalm 51 that, that David repented and was broken. And we see that. Are you one, would you welcome that kind of friendship in your life when someone might actually speak into your life? Or do you bristle up and you won't listen to anybody ever? Or secondly, maybe for you, the question would be is, is, is you know, are you the kind of person that would love someone enough to speak into their life? Because, you know, and it's a risky situation. It's risky. But do you love people enough to speak in? Now, as we said last week, you've got to earn that right. You just can't be going around telling everybody what's wrong with them, okay? All right? Or you're not going to have any friends. I'm just going to let you know that, okay? But earning that right. Well, well, today I want to talk about something that, that we all deal with. It's something that, will, that has hit every one of us, including myself. Um, and I want to move from the Old Testament into the New Testament here. I want to move to the first century church and see where a situation kind of emerged I've talked about this before, but I really felt like coming back to it today, and, and I felt like it could be helpful for us as we're talking about this friending series today. I want to talk about the fact that every single one of us are going to have this happen in our lives, and that is there is going to be conflict that emerges in your friendships. You are going to experience it. Either in your friendships, you'll experience it. If you're married, you will experience it with, with uh, you know, people that you work with. You'll experience it. And I know this may be just a shocker for you. You might even experience a little conflict in your life group. You might experience conflict in your church. Oh, don't say it so, Pastor Bart. We know that we all get along just all the time, right? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, right, Okay. The reality is this, there's a premise that we need to work from, is that we are all sinners, amen, right? We are all sinners, which means this, we are all flawed, which means this, that all of our relationships, because we are sinful, all of our relationships are going to be flawed, and there's going to be trouble, and there's going to be conflict that emerges. You're not going to have perfect relationships. You're not going to have perfect friendships. Even as a believer, even as a godly person, I want you to know you can still have conflict that emerges in your relationships. And you'll see an example of that today. In fact, I, I heard about a guy that was marooned on a deserted island. He was all there by himself. He'd been alone there for five years by himself. A ship comes by and picks him up and he's talking to the captain and the captain's like, hey, I noticed that you had three huts that are out there on the island. What's the deal with the huts? And You've been by yourself. Why are there three? And he said, well, this first hut over here is where, that's where I live. And he said, I get that. Okay. I, you know, and he said, what's the deal with the second hut over here? He said, the second hut, well, that's where I go to church. And he said, okay, all right. That's where you go to church. And he said, well, what's the deal with the third church? And he got this snarky look on his face. And he said, that's where I used to go to church. All right. Okay. <laughs> and see, even as believers, right? Even as a godly person, even as a believer, we can get crossways with each other. There's going to be conflict that emerges. And, and you know, and, and, and that just happens. 
it happens. But, but this is something that I just want to point out to you is that we have a responsibility to grow up in the Lord enough to begin to deal with conflict in our lives in a biblical kind of manner. All right, now, so here's the deal. I want to bring some Nathan-like truth to some of you today. And I want to love you enough to say that there's some of us who are here this morning that for a few different reasons, when conflict emerges in our lives, and, and God's going to speak to you today, and you can either reject this or you can receive it today, there is either this. There's either just kind of this inability, and I would say this is maybe a little bit more on the ignorant side of, I just don't really know how to handle it. And so there may not be sin entering into it there. There's an inability to know how to handle conflict when it emerges. For some of us, though, there's going to be an unwillingness to handle it in a biblical kind of manner, which is going to lead to this. I would even just take it a step further. It's going to lead to a sinful kind of disobedience where God has spoken to you about how to handle it in a right kind of way, and yet you refuse to handle it biblically. You refuse to handle it. It's, it's really, it's an act of rebellion between us and God whenever we do this, when we choose not to handle it in a biblical kind of manner. Conflict is going to emerge, but, but I want to just suggest to us scripturally that we have a responsibility to handle it in a godly kind of manner. Well, what does a godly kind of manner look like? And well, we're going to look at this today. People deal with conflict in a number of different ways. They deal with it. Some people just completely avoid it. They will avoid it at all costs. They don't want to deal with it. Some people are, are passive aggressive in the way that they deal with conflict. And they may outwardly kind of give in and pacify whoever it is around them. But on the inside, they're growing increasingly bitter as the days go by, you know, and uh, they can they can be kind of passive. They'll be like, oh, yeah, we'll we'll do things your way. But on the inside, they're like, I'll get you later. All right. That's kind of what they're thinking. And uh, and what's creepy is that they can all do that with a big smile on their face. Right. As they're doing that. Does anybody know any passive aggressive people? Raise your hands this morning. OK, don't point at them because you will get the silent treatment for a month. OK, so don't point They'll in their passive aggression. They will they will do that. Well, and so some people will avoid it. Some people will become passive aggressive. Some people, it just blows up and they don't know how to deal with it. How are you in your relationships when it comes to conflict? Are you in conflict right now? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that. Some of you are like, I can't believe this dude is talking about this today because y'all had a big fight on the way to church. <laughs> All right. And you're like, dang it. He's talking about this today. But, but here's what I would tell you. And I'll just be transparent with you. I am not a big fan of conflict. I'm not a big fan of it because I, I have a hard time letting things go in my mind. And I start playing out all of these different scenarios. And my wife, when I'm in conflict, not, not necessarily with her, but maybe I'm in conflict with someone else. And I'm sitting back out on my front porch, I mean my back porch, and I'm sitting back there and I'm thinking about everything and I'm stewing on things. Hope will kind of like, she will, there's a window where she can look and she'll see me and I'll even kind of be talking and rolling my neck or something like that. And she comes out and she finds me out there and she's like, you're in conflict with somebody, aren't you? You're talking to them right now. And she kind of laughs at me about that, okay? And then I'll be like, yeah, it's you. I'm talking it out about you right now. And But but that's, I hate it. I hate it whenever I get in conflict. It, it can even really, when it, certain kinds of, con, I mean, it can even make me kind of feel physically sick. Anybody else feel that? I mean, I get to where I don't feel 
I mean, and, and now in the position I'm in as a public speaker, as a pastor, you know, being in a leadership position. By the way, if you're going to lead anything, you're going to have conflict, okay? It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. If you're going to lead, you're going to experience it because people aren't going to sometimes like what you're going to say. They're not going to like how you lead. They're going to think about it in a different kind of way. And they can all be wrong if they want, okay? But here's the deal. It's just conflict is going to happen. It's going to happen. And I've learned over the years how to deal, and I'm still learning, but I've learned how to deal with kind of, I get, sometimes I get anonymous conflict, okay? And that's where people send anonymous notes, and it used to bug me. It used to get under my skin. I don't even have time for that anymore. I just throw that stuff away, okay, or hit delete. But, but you know, but what really gets to me is conflict in relationships that really, that, the ones that really matter to me. And conflict emerges there, And I will want to try to fix it in my nature. I want to try to fix it immediately sometimes, which isn't always the wise thing to do because I can be impulsive and I can end end up saying the wrong thing because I didn't quite think it through properly. Maybe I didn't even pray about it. And then I maybe I was still in the flesh and I wasn't really, you know, allowing God to to work on my own heart. And and really, it's just it's just something that has been a real struggle for me. I struggled with it, and what I want you to know is that whenever I do conflict wrong, and this is going to be the same for you, when I do it wrong, I am not going to have peace in my life. The peace is not there. The peace that the Lord offers me, that He wants me to experience, that peace is, is, is often absent in the midst of that, and I feel sick, and I feel upset, I feel anxious, I worry about how it's going to turn out, I worry about how I'm going to be perceived, and, you know, and, and that just ends up kind of what happens in this, and, and now, and so I really struggle with this, and how many of you would say, I kind of feel that, Bart, I mean, I feel some of the same things, now, how many of you would say, man, because we kind of like to avoid conflict, is there anybody here that you just kind of you just kind of like conflict. Is there anybody? Would you just raise your hand? Anybody this morning? There's usually a, a couple. And we very generally and very gently call you psycho. Okay? I'm just... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Notice I said gently. Okay? I've often wondered what it would be like to take those that lifted their hands there and put them all in one section in the church. And just... That would be fun, right? That would be fun. Okay? But, um, but seriously... Um, you know, most of us don't like conflict. So we handle it in different ways. Some of us avoid it. Some of us get passive aggressive. But, but we are all going to have to learn to deal with it because it's going to happen. And avoiding it is not going to deal with it. Just, just, you know, never dealing with it is not going to fix it. If you value people, if you value friendships, if you actually you know, would recognize the fact that I need to be a better friend. Remember, we're not talking about how we need everyone else to be better friends to us, right? That's not a, that's not a good premise for a series. All that's going to do is depress you. But what you can say is, I need to work on being a better friend. Well, then, if, I, if that is the case, I need to learn how to deal better with conflict. I need to know how to deal with it in a more healthy kind of manner. And I believe God's Word really can help us with that. If you're not in conflict... Right now, congratulations. The rest of us are really happy for you, okay? And uh, I might find you after church and start something just so it's not that way in your life, okay? But today, what I want to show you is a conflict between two great godly men. 
that emerged. There was a conflict that happened between two pillars within the early church. And, and, and I want you to see this, that, that as, as we look at this, now one thing that's going to bug some of you is that it doesn't turn out all perfectly tidy and neat and perfectly wrapped up in a box where everyone perfectly lives happily ever after. And that's going to bug some of you, I know. But I do want you to see that it still turns out to God's glory. It still turns out okay. And so the guys that we're going to be talking about over the next few moments, is first is the Apostle Paul, and we've studied him in depth here at EBC. We've looked at his life. We've we know that Paul was very task-oriented. He was very driven. The guy was planting churches, and man, he was making it happen by God's grace in his life. And Paul was this kind of individual. He, he authored over two-thirds of the New Testament. This is what is encouraging, and you're going to find to be encouraging, is that this great man of God who wrote volumes on relationships in the New Testament, and he wrote extensively about getting along with one another, you're going to probably t- take a little bit, I don't want to say glee, but knowing that Paul had a conflict. He wasn't perfect in all of his relationships. That should at least kind of make you realize, you know what, this is going to happen. If it happened with Paul, I would just tell you this, it's going to happen to you. Who would you think you are if it wouldn't happen to you, right? I mean, this is Paul. And then there's this other guy, and this other guy's name is Barnabas. I like to call him Barney, okay? And Barnabas, his real name, it literally translates this way, son of encouragement. And if you study him and you look at his life, that is exactly what Barnabas was. He was a people person. He was Mr. Personality. Everybody loved him. Where maybe Paul was maybe a little more task-oriented, and there's nothing wrong with that kind of personality. God makes us all different. Barnabas was seemingly maybe a little more people-driven and more personality, uh, you know, and, and so he's this huge extrovert. You'll find that people were, that he would come alongside people who were down and out. And man, he just had a way of coming alongside them and lifting them up. And, and man, he's just a great Bible character. I told Pastor Randy this week as I was studying this, I said, you know what I see? I see you as a son of encouragement. And he said, you're encouraging me right now. I said, I know, I'm trying to be more like Barney, you know. And, uh, but I said, I see that in you. And he did say, he said, man, it really blesses me that you would say that. I said, I just see that. You do that. You've done that over and over again. And I see how, how th- that's just something that you're really, really gifted at and really good at. And, and I said, now, I'm not saying, Randy, that, that you're Barnabas and I'm Paul. I'm not saying that B- Randy and I are, are in a fight or anything like that. He's not here this morning. Hmm. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> He's here. He's not here because his daughter is graduating high school today, okay? And so we said, go celebrate that. But I just want, I want to say, isn't it interesting how God makes different leaders and different people in different kinds of ways? We needed a Paul and we needed a Barnabas, right? Amen? We needed different kinds of leaders. And this is what we see happen between these two guys. They, they have this great friendship, and, and, but they have a conflict that emerges, and they are going to deal with it in a healthy kind of way. And you may, not, you may look at that and go, that's really healthy. And I, I'll, I'll come back full circle to show you that there was a healthy kind of thing that happened in this to God's glory. And then we have situations in the Bible where, where they don't handle conflict very well. Like Saul, 
right? I'm not talking about Saul Paul. I'm talking about King Saul, where when he would get in conflict, he would throw spears at people. That's not how you want to handle it, okay? And chase people down to kill them. That's what he did with David. That's a tad bit on the dysfunctional side. But what we see is between these two men, we see something that happens. And the way it comes about is really interesting. It just kind of happens. You know what you're going to find in this conflict? You're going to find trust issues. You're going to find unmet expectations. You're going to find family dynamics are involved. You're going to find strong opinions. You're going to find personal chemistry issues just out of curiosity. How many of you have had a conflict because of any of those issues right there? Would you just lift your hands up? You've had that, okay? I mean, that pretty much covers it. And that's what happens here. It's all very common. Go, Go with me to Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And let me just take you through this just for a moment. It says this, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, now the after some time is that they have been planting a lot of churches and now they, are, they have gone back for some respite and have gone back and, and, and uh, are not on, necessarily on a missionary journey at this point. And they are regrouping and getting ready to go again. And it says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. So you have to know, Paul being the kind of man he was, systematic. I mean, his theology is systematic. You work through Romans, you see that. Paul had a list. We're going to go to this church, then we're going to go over here, then we're going to go here. And man, we really have got to go see the Corinthians. They're doing some weird stuff. We need to talk to these guys. The Galatians are struggling with this. Paul had a plan. He had a plan. We see this happening. And I love this because it really reveals Paul's pastoral heart here. He really, you see that he really cares about the the churches that he's planted. And and he didn't stay as a pastor there. I I don't know if maybe Paul, I mean, I'm just saying this. I don't know. Maybe Paul wouldn't have been a great pastor to stay there. You know, Paul probably would have been great at anything, but it was very evident he was great at starting things. He was catalytic. And his gifting was going around starting things. Now, he was great in leading other men in how to be good pastors. So I, I shouldn't say that. But here is, here's what I do want you to know is that he had an agenda. He had a, in his mindset the way things were going to work out. He, he, uh, he said basically, hey, Barney, Road trip. Let's go. You in? Barney's like, I'm in, man. This is awesome. I love rolling with Paul. You know, we, you know, you, you know me and I like the way you are, Paul. And man, we work together so well. And, you know, and he's Barney, right? I love you. You love me. We're one big, great apostolic family. You know, I mean, that may have been where that emerged. I don't know. But all I know is that Barnabas was in and they were going to road trip and they were spending time together. And he's like, you know, I love that you don't have to get off, you know, your donkey and go to the bathroom every hour. You know, I mean, we get to roll, you know, and and so what's going to happen is this little issue happens, though. And that's isn't that interesting how conflict often starts with one little issue. And that's what we're going to see that happens here. And you're going to look at this verse and go, what in the world could have ignited this conflict? 
Well, it's a simple issue that's raised by Paul that ends up having a request by Barnabas. And the next thing you know, these guys did not agree. Look at verse 37. Barnabas, read it with me out loud. Barnabas agreed. Now, wouldn't it be great if there were a period right there? And wouldn't it be great in your life if everybody just would see it your way and agree with you? There'd be no conflict. Can I get an amen? Right. Okay. That's what we wish. But that's not how the, the way things happen. That's not what happens. Barnabas agreed. If you put a period there, no conflict. They all live happily ever after. Wouldn't it be great if that's what happened in your life? And, but that's not the end of the verse. Let's read the rest of the, of the verse here. Barnabas agreed. Now, here's what Barnabas wants to do. And he wanted to take along John Mark. Hey, I want to take John Mark with us. Who also happened to be Barnabas' cousin. So now you have a family dynamic that's involved. Ooh. By show of hands, how many of you have a weird cousin? Anybody have a weird cousin? Okay. How many of you, you are the weird cousin? <laughs> I agree, Richard. I agree. Okay. Um, all right. So you've got the weird cousin. We don't know that John Mark was a weird cousin. <laughs> we don't know that about him, but it'd kind of be like this. Okay. Be like, I was going to go to the Ranger game this week, you know, and, uh, and I, and I just called someone up and said, hey, man, you want to go to the Ranger game with me or whatever? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. And then, and then they call me back a couple of minutes later and they're like, hey, um, would it be all right if my Uncle Fester went with us as well? And I'm like, dude, Fester, he's bald and he wears that weird cloak looking thing. Man, yeah, that'll be fine. I mean, that's kind of what is happening. And again, I'm not saying John Mark is the weird creepy cousin, but he does go by two first names. And you always have to suspect anybody that, no, I'm kidding unless you have two first names. I'm not kidding. Okay. All right. But Paul, verse 38, moving ahead. But Paul, this is what it says. And, and I think this is interesting that it doesn't just say disagreed. Will you read it with me out loud? But Paul disagreed. Wow. Now, Luke is the one who has authored the book of Acts. And I wonder if Luke was writing, carried by the Holy Spirit here, but Paul disagreed, but Paul disagreed strongly. What happened? Wow. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not shared in their work. What in the world's going on here? What happened in this situation? Some of you, maybe you, you're thinking of somebody right now at work that you're like, yeah, yeah, I do all the work and they don't do anything and I, they get credit. And, and maybe, I don't know what happened here. It's really interesting to me that they didn't just disagree. The Bible says that it was a sharp disagreement is the way that it translates. It was a strong disagreement. Now, we're talking about two incredibly godly men here, Right? We're talking about men that loved Jesus, two pillars in the first century church. And they are about to be in a dispute, in a conflict. In the original language, um, in the Greek here, the words that are used to describe this is that they were adamant about their viewpoint. The word insistent comes up in this, in the original language here. They were insistent about their opinion. So you have passion, you have conviction. There's something going on in John Mark's past. 
that says that that Paul is going to have some pause to inviting him to come along again. We don't know exactly what all of that meant. It just, whatever it was, Paul, looking forward, said, I just don't think this will be a good idea. I just think this is setting us up for a failure here. And and, And can you not see Barnabas going, dude, listen, I'm not just talking to you because he's my cousin. I'm saying this to you because, Paul, if you will recall this, and I don't know that Barnabas did this, but he would have, could have easily done this. Because if you study this, what you'd find out about Paul and Barnabas is that Barnabas had come along Saul after he had converted to Christianity, and none of the other Christians wanted to take him in because they were afraid of him. Do you know who came alongside Paul and said, I'm with this guy, and because I'm with him, you need to be with him. Do you know who did that? Barnabas. Can you not see Barnabas going, what if I, what if I'd not helped you out? What if I didn't come along you? What if I didn't give you a second chance? You know, we don't know that that occurred, but, but something, and I have to trust that Paul is a godly enough man to, to have a reason for not wanting to take John Mark on this. Maybe he could foresee that if he deserted them again, maybe he would think that the churches around there would think this is standard operating procedures. I don't know, guys. I'm just speculating on all this because I've really tried to think it out. What was the deal here? That Paul was not going to yield to this and Barnabas was not going to yield. Now, if you flip a few chapters back in chapter 13 you'll see that it, it kind of says a little bit about what happened, and it's not really much different than what we just read. But it says in chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now Paul, this was back when they were on the missionary journey, Now Paul and those with him left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. You need to know this, that lives were on the line. You need to know that, that whatever was going on here was very serious, that their lives were at stake for preaching the gospel. It isn't just, we're just taking a road trip, you know, and there's really nothing at stake here. A lot is at stake. And that's why this is such a big deal to Paul. Now, what does it say that happens once they got there? There, John Mark, what does it say? He left them. He left them. And he returned to Jerusalem. It doesn't go into detail, but what I know is that he had signed up for a job. He was their assistant. He was on board with them at one point. If you look in the original language here, what's interesting too is that the word that speaks of them leaving is the same word that they use for what's called apostasy. And apostasy speaks of someone who would turn their back on the faith. Now, you can look at John Mark later on and see that he clearly did not turn his back on the faith. But it could just be that he turned his back on the ministry that he was involved in. We don't know why. We don't know if they were under threat of persecution. We don't know if he cracked under that. We, we just simply do not know. But for some reason, the guy said, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Maybe he said, I didn't sign up for this. And this is getting a little crazy now. You know, I mean, Paul goes in. He preaches it like it is. The town gets upset. They try to kill us. You know, I I don't know. Again, I'm speculating. 
I just know that something caused these guys to not see eye to eye. And, and, and you know, it, it, I don't know why he left, but if God wanted us to know, I suppose he'd really show us. It, didn't, it doesn't really matter, I suppose. The point is this, is that there was a conflict between two very godly men who saw something from two different perspectives. And I just, you have to know, they're both godly people. They're both godly. Here's what we do know, Barnabas... Paul, two different guys, two different personalities. Paul, more task-oriented. Barnabas, maybe more people-driven. You know, we know Paul wrote over half the New Testament. He understood the dynamics of relationships. He said all this. He was ambitious personality. You know, he would, he, I would even say this about Paul. You have to know, and I would describe him this way, that he was tenacious because they were trying to kill him. They were beating him. They were doing all of these things to him on a regular basis. And the guy would not quit, right? Could you almost maybe say he's a tad bit stubborn? Could it be that some of our strengths also sometimes end up being a little bit of our weaknesses? I don't know. Barnabas, the great people person, son of encouragement, is saying, man, we've got to give people second chances, Paul. We've got to do this. Now look at what happens in verse 39. What we have is what we have is Barnabas votes yes, Paul votes no, and there's no Paula Abdul to settle the score between the two of them, okay? It doesn't happen. So look at what happens. Their disagreement over this was so sharp that they, what does it say, church? They separate. That word sharp disagreement is there again. Barnabas, he said, I'm just going to take John Mark and we're going to go this direction. And they sailed for Cyprus. Paul, now he raised up another young man. He invested in another young man named Silas. And the believers sent them off and entrusting them to the Lord's grace. So they traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia and they were going to do what? Strengthen the churches there. What are we seeing? The conflict was so big that these guys determined in the midst of this, it is going to be best for the congregation. It's going to be best for our friendship. It's going to be best for the church as a whole. It's going to be best. We just go separate directions on this. And we don't have any indication of them ever like closely working together again. But I will tell you this. You will never find Paul bad-mouthing Barnabas. You will never find Barnabas bad-mouthing Paul. You won't find that they start two different factions of kinds of churches. You'll find this, that even in the midst of their conflict, you'll find this wasn't a moral issue. This was an opinion kind of issue. But what you're going to find that is beautiful in this is the conflict did not stop their mission. The mission carried on. It could have. Don't you know the enemy was just just salivating, just, oh, this is great. The two pillars of the church are about to get into this. Let's see if we can't stop this movement of God. He's the one that causes chaos and causes all of this. He capitalizes on this. But these guys, they didn't handle it like that. They didn't handle it. They chose, instead of now, what you have is instead of one missionary journey happening, the earlier church now has two happening simultaneously. They're going on and people are being raised up in different areas at this particular time. And in the midst of the conflict, what I want you to see is that God made something good out of something that could have been very potentially disastrous and bad for the early church. 
But God is sovereign. God was in control. And, and I began to think uh, about this and how this could have been horrible for the first church. But because these men were both very committed to the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God being first and not it being about their own personality, and they modeled that, the church thrived. You'll even see Paul in certain places where he wrote, say, this, this doesn't need to be about Peter. It doesn't need to be about Paul, it doesn't need to be about, you know, this guy here or this guy over here. It is all about one person and one person alone. And who is that person? Jesus. That's what it has to be about. And so these guys, this is what's happened. What, what did, they, did they throw punches? I don't know. Was it NT, UFC? I don't know. We don't know what happened. We just, who won the argument? Who won? I mean, that's really... All week, I'm just like, who won? Who won? Here's, here's what uh, we don't see. It, it doesn't show us that. That bugs some of us. What we do see is they had conflict. They argued about their conflict. They dealt with it. They went their own way. Key is this. Not only did they just go their own way, like physically, what I want you to get more than anything, if you miss this, you miss the whole message. These men both went God's way. They both went God's way in this. They, they may have traveled their own way physically, and they just, they just weren't traveling together. This didn't mean they were through serving the same God together. And when you come to a moment like this in life, and you have tension and conflict, and, and all of that emerges, the default way to handle it, our flesh just, just creeps up within us. It wants to do things our way. We want to handle it the world's way. What does that look like practically? When I have tension in a relationship, what, what the world's way is and what I want to do in my flesh is, is I want to talk to everybody else about it. I want to rally troops. I want, to, I want everyone else to know how wrong that other person is. That's world's way. I want to stab that other person in the back. That's world's way. I want to hold on to bitterness and grudges. That's world's way. I want to sabotage the other person. That's the world's way. I want to blame the other person. World's way. I want to send 20 pizzas to their house at 10 o'clock at night. That's Bart's way. I want to, I want to do these kinds of things. That's what's crying out inside of me. But you've got to recognize something, Christian. That is the flesh. What Paul has called us to is a death to self, a crucified life, crucified life. He would write about it in Galatians. Could it be the who is right question is the reason that maybe some of us have so much conflict in our lives? Because for some of us, that's what we're all about is just winning. I've shared this before that, man, I love to win. I love to win, and I love to win in a, in a conflict. I love to, to, you know, be sure that I've been, you know, and, and I've, I'm learning as I'm growing in the Lord. I'm learning as I'm growing as a husband for sure in this one, okay, that, that, that hope at some times in some of our conflicts would say, you win. You win. And can I just tell you something? I realize at that point I have lost. <laughs> right? Because it's not about winning. And that's when God begins to speak and say, what, what happened 
to dying to self in you. What happened to you following God's way in this? Why is this all about just you? And God begins to bring conviction in my heart and in her heart. News flashes that people just don't always agree, and Christians don't always agree, but God is teaching is that conflicts are going to occur, and do you realize this? They can actually be peaceful. It doesn't have to go the way the world goes in conflict. Conflict can even be God-honoring. We can even disagree without being disagreeable. So as you look at what happened, Paul and Barnabas, they go in two different directions. They both went God's way. God got his work done through both of them in their lives. So what does it mean for you today? Let me give you some things just to take out of here today, okay? What are you going to do with this biblical story? Because I don't just want to give you stuff that you say, well, I know about Paul and Barnabas. Great. So what? What are you going to do with it now? What, what are you going to do when, when, when conflict emerges in your life? I'm, first, I'm just thankful that this is in here. Aren't you glad to see that two great men of God, two godly people, you can see that if they're going to have some conflict, then it's not going to be unnatural for you to have conflict in your life. It, do, it doesn't mean that, you, that we're all so completely messed up if there's conflict. We all are, are messed up because we're all sinners. But here's the deal. It's normal to have conflict. These guys, you don't see them going starting two different churches. They didn't become bitter enemies. They just simply disagreed. And they worked it out. It fleshed out differently. Conflict is inevitable. Here is your takeaway, your key thought. Conflict is inevitable for every one of us here today. Misery is optional. Conflict is inevitable, but misery is optional. Paul wrote this verse later in his life, and I love this passage. This was even after he had been through conflict. Paul wrote this, Romans 12, 18. I want you to read it with me out loud. Let's all respond. Say it together with me. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Paul would write that. What does that say to us today? You do what you can, right? What that also would say is you can't do their part. You can't make them like you. You can't fix the way they feel about you. All you can do is your part to live at peace. Sometimes they're not going to choose that. But your responsibility is not theirs. Yours is your own. You can't have every single friend in the world, but you can be the best friend of the people who are around you. So how do I do this? Well, I just, I'm, I'm, I realize this, that in these closing moments, I'm not just going to give you this little formula that's going to magically fix every conflict that's in your life that you've ever had. I realize this, but what if you hung on to one or two of these things and you really started working on this? What if you started working these takeaways? Let me just give them just real quick to you as we, as we leave here in just a minute. This is what you can do. This is your response to what you've heard. Steps to working through some conflict in your friendships. The first thing is this, is what if you started trusting God rather than, than beginning to see it from a worldly perspective, you started trusting that God could and was wanting to do something great in the midst of your conflict. That you trust God to do something great 
even though you're in conflict. And when conflict happens, we're not like, oh, praise God, I have more conflict. I'm not saying that you're like that, okay? That's just weird, okay? What I am saying is that you begin to see things from a different kind of viewpoint and a different perspective. And instead of the conflict actually defaulting going to the end of the relationship, it's the end of the world, it's the end of this, what if in some way you started saying, I'm even going to trust God in this friendship? And God, I'm going to trust that you're going to begin to show me areas where I need to get better, and God, you're going to show me where I could forgive, and God... I'm going to trust that God, even in the conflict that I have with my friend or with my spouse or with whomever, even in the midst of this, God, you are still sovereign. God, you're still going to work this out. God, the story's not over yet. You follow me? What if I started seeing it just a little bit different? We've seen an example of how God used conflict to bring about his glory in Paul and Barnabas because you'll go back and you could study and you'll see that that Paul would speak great compliments over Barnabas's ministry. Paul would speak great compliments about John Mark later on. In fact, do you know this, that in Paul's last days, he called Timothy and said, bring John Mark with you. Do you know that John Mark goes on to be used by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospel of Mark? That probably has a great deal to do with Barnabas didn't give up on him. But Paul wasn't wrong either. God, Paul had his reasons, and we have to just trust that. Here's the second thing. This is the biggest one for me. This is what I'd say probably many of you will will say you could do. And that is, I'm going to reject the world's way of handling conflict. I'm going to reject the worldly response, the worldly response, which would be the fleshly response, which would be about retaliation, which would be about, you know, just proving who's right. I'm going to reject that. That's all flesh. I'm going to reject bitterness. That's flesh. I'm going to reject that. Instead, I'm going to recognize that I have an opportunity in this to die to self and to bring glory to God. Even if others, they still don't maybe even get what happened. So I expect God to do something great. I expect God to work in the midst of the conflict. I I reject the world's way. Here's going to be a radical thought for you. You could even do this. You forgive before you even engage. You go in with kind of a different mentality rather than going in just to prove your points and all that. I'm not saying that you can't express how you feel if you're going to be talking with this individual, but but it's not just about you being right. You actually go in maybe with a heart of forgiveness. You actually spend some time with Jesus, remembering that Jesus has forgiven you of a, of a lot of things in your life, and so you go in with an attitude of forgiveness. Paul wrote this, Colossians 3, you must, as he says to a church, and he's saying to us as believers today in a church, you must make allowance for each other's faults. The implication is because it's going to be there. We're going to not like certain things that others do. We're going to get offended. These things are going to happen. But you must make allowance, he said, and forgive the, uh, the person who offends you. And then how do you begin to do that? Well, he says, well, what you need to start doing is remembering how much you have been forgiven of. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I say this, and people don't like this, but here is the bottom line. I struggle with it too. 
But here is the bottom line. Forgiveness is not an elective course in Christianity. Forgiveness is mandatory for us. We've taught about what forgiveness is and what it's not. I don't have time to get into that today. But forgiveness is a mandatory. It is at the core of our Christian faith, is it not? It is the core value of what it means to be a believer is that we have been forgiven. Therefore, God says, now go extend forgiveness. Again, I I don't have time to talk about what it is and what it's not today. We've talked about it before. You can probably find it online. Now, here is something that I want to tell you, and this is something that God has had to teach me through some hard lessons because there was a point where maybe in some of my immaturity, I was more prone to point out when someone would offend me on a more regular basis and I would have a conversation. And here's what God's showing me is that, you know, there's not always the need to do that. In fact, forgiveness can happen in a couple of different ways. Forgiveness can come when I actually sit down with a person and have a conversation and I go in with a forgiving attitude. But forgiveness sometimes, if I can just, you know, realize that maybe this isn't as big a deal as I'm making it or whatever, and not every time I see that person I get the total heebie-jeebies and I can't quit thinking about it or whatever, you know. But there are some times where it's just wise to forgive and let it go. And overlook it rather than coming and having a sit down over every single little offense. And that's not just my philosophy. Look at what the scripture says. Proverbs 19 says this. A man's wisdom gives him patience. Read the next part with me out loud. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Because I'm going to tell you this, if you go sit down with every single person that ever offends you or says something wrong or or looks at you the wrong way or snubs you or doesn't like what you your post on Facebook or whatever, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be meeting all the time. You're going to be miserable. It is to God's glory and yours to be able to finally at some point say, you know, I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to overlook that. But if you can't get past it, it is your responsibility to handle it biblically. And that's not going and talking to everybody else about it. Scripture says if your brother offends you, you go to him just between the two of you. That's that's the biblical way to handle it. It's biblical. And, and you, you go in not trying to win. You go in just, it's, it's not about you winning. It's more about restoring the relationship. It's more about being sure that you are, you've done what God's led you to do. They may not respond well to you sitting down with them even. But your part is to be obedient to God and to extend and offer forgiveness. Here's the final thing. Is that you must work toward resolution without escalation, and this is big, and without a victory dance. <laughs> All right? You work towards resolution without escalation or without victory dance. It doesn't have to escalate into a battle or major major confrontation where it's all about winning and you've got to win. And, and, you know, we are all very quick to point out the other person's flaws. We're very quick to do that. And, 
and, and, and wisdom would say we need to slow down in that. And, you know, Scripture would tell us, Jesus would tell us, you need to recognize that you've got some stuff that's wrong with you. And so going into a situation, if you just can't get past it, it's, it's you know, and you just got to go in and say, look, I just don't feel good about what's going on. Or what's, it's, it, are we okay? Is something happening here that, it, it, did I offend you? If I did, I just, I just want to be right with you. It's not about me winning or you winning. I just want us to be okay because I know that, that I care about our friendship. It doesn't always turn out neat and tidy and perfect. You can't control their response. It's risky. So you have to really weigh whether or not it's worth it. Sometimes you just need to overlook it and let it go. Regardless of how they have responded, you've got to hear this. You've done your part to make peace. I'm going in forgiving. I'm going in noticing my own flaws. I'm not trying to win. Your issue is to choose peace. Conflict is inevitable. Misery is optional. That's, that could be the whole message today. And some of you are writing, you're wondering, who won between Paul and Barnabas? God did. God won. As I said, you can go look at their story and see how they didn't travel together anymore. But they kept on doing the missions that God had called them to do. They kept speaking well over one another. You won't see Paul talking about Barnabas the scumbag or anything like that. You just don't see it. We see that God used it to advance his gospel even further. I want to ask you just to pray with me now. As our heads are bowed, and as we reflect upon this passage, could it be that God is speaking to you about dealing with some conflict in one of your relationships? And don't dismiss that. Some of you would want to just avoid it. You'd want to not deal with it because it's stressful to begin to, to deal with it. What if you started changing that stressful way of looking at it into what we said, that God's wanting to do something in this. He's wanting to grow you in this. Some of you would just say, and this is just a very safe place for you to say, we all have struggles, we all have conflicts, we all, but there are some of you today that the Lord would speak and is speaking to you, and, and you would say today, you would say, Pastor Bart, I'm really dealing with something right now. I'm dealing with some, some conflict that has emerged. I just don't even, I really don't know how to handle it right now. I'm not really sure. I'm still sorting things out. What I would just say is that, Pastor Bart, would you pray for me today? Would you just begin to pray that God would give me wisdom? I don't want to act impulsively. I don't want to mess things up further. I'm just coming and I'm just asking for prayer. If that's you today, would you just lift your hands? And I just want to pray for you today. Can we take that to God together today? Just lift them up. Just lift them up. You just acknowledge before God, Lord, I'm taking the first step and I'm bringing this to you. I just, I want to ask you, God, to begin to give me wisdom. Let me pray for you right now, okay? Let's pray together. Father, for those of us who are here, we need to begin to see conflict as it emerges in our life, that it's inevitable, but the misery that can come with it, Lord, is optional. 
Lord, I pray for these who have lifted their hands. They've been very transparent before you. They're being authentic, Lord, as they come before you and saying, Lord, we just need your wisdom. Lord, we want your peace in our lives. Lord, even if there can't be total and complete peace in all of our relationships, we need your peace in our lives. And so, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today. I ask you, Lord, to give your godly wisdom that they may know, Lord, what to overlook as an offense and overlooking it just being to your glory and being to wisdom and that you would give them godly discernment to be able to understand that there are some things you just can't overlook and there are some things that you just have to lovingly confront. And so, Father, give clarity to those that lifted their hands today. Give encouragement, Lord, that even if things don't work out perfectly, Lord, that you are still sovereign, that you are still in control. May they be able to walk in peace and knowing that they did everything within their power to live at peace with others. We just don't want to deal with things unbiblically, God. Show us where we are, Lord, maybe acting in our flesh, where we need to crucify that flesh. Show us where we are being selfish. Show us, God, where we are being prideful. God, I pray that you would bring honor and glory to your name through these situations that we're bringing to you today. I thank you, Lord, that you modeled peacemaking for us. You made peace between us and our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, when you paid for our sin. I pray that if there's one that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would they would see that you are the great reconciler, the great redeemer, and that they would invite you to be a part of their life. May your peace just rest upon us today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. What an incredible passage of scripture. I'm thankful God put it in there, right? I pray God's blessings on you. We're going to take up God's tithes and